First uh, John chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 18. Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you've no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Father, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus, your son. And God, we want to see Jesus in all truth today. God, please part the heavens, open our hearts, open our minds, open our, our will, God, to see and to receive and to rejoice in the King of kings, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would teach us what it means for the word of God to live in us. God, take away the distractions, take away, take away our sin, God, that would keep us from, from hearing and obeying your word. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a strange passage for a couple different reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, the language in it's pretty tough, isn't it? Have you noticed that when, when we just read that? It's really different than the last, uh, the last two chapters that we've been through. They've been pretty straightforward, but the language in this particular uh, passage is pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult to, to follow. And so, so what we want to do is try to go slow. What we want to do is try to group things together and, and hopefully communicate well. But the second reason that this is a difficult passage for us today is because John cares about truth at a level that most Americans do not care about truth. Uh, John cares about truth at a level that, that is difficult for us as Americans and really American culture to get a hold of because most people just don't, aren't concerned about truth at that level. You ever heard anybody say uh, things like, uh, I have my truth, you have your truth? You ever heard that? Um, you see, that, that really only happens now in America. I mean, that, that's not something that's always been. That's kind of a new cultural thing in which uh, we as Americans have kind of bought this lie that, uh, that I can have truth, and you can have truth, and our truth isn't the same, and it's okay, you know? Um, really, that, that's, not, that's not the way John looks at this at all, okay? John, John says, man, it is incredibly essential that we know the truth about Jesus, that we know the truth about salvation, that we know the truth uh, about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in the kingdom. And in fact, John would say, it is actually mean it is, actually, it is actually an unkind thing to deceive people about truth, to not hold on to the truth and promote the truth. To be wrong about Jesus for, for John is the most, most, most 
harmful thing that could happen to a person. And so John's willing really to call out people, which our culture really isn't willing to do, but John's willing to call out people that have a distorted view of Jesus. In fact, he calls them liars. He calls them antichrist. Uh, for John, there, there's nothing meaner, nothing more violent, nothing more wicked, nothing more hateful. There's nothing harm, more harmful than a person's life than to not know the historical reality of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, folks, we got to be people who are passionate about wanting to know who is Jesus. Okay? Not, not about your opinion of Jesus or what you want Jesus to be or what you think about the situation. You know, there's a lot of situations where I really don't want everybody's opinion. I'd like to know the reality. And this is one of them. You know, if I'm ever on, on the table having, having brain surgery, all right, and the surgeon is there, and they've got the charts, and they've got the, the, the equipment, and they've got their, their years of medical knowledge, I really don't want you coming in giving your opinion, okay? I mean, I'll just be honest, you know? You come in, man, that thing, that little brown spot there, cut that out. I wouldn't have that in there. You know, great, you got an opinion about it? I think I'd rather know the truth. I'd rather have the reality and not everybody's opinion. And how much more should we want the the, the reality of who is Jesus Christ. Who is he? Some would say that that's inconsistent with love to tell people that they're a liar or that they're, they're antichrist. Well, not at all. In, in chapter 2, verse 7, we see that John is incredibly all about love. We, we looked at that before. Behold, I'm writing you no new commandment but an old commandment. You had from the beginning the old commandments, the words you've heard, the same time it's a new commandment that i'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and john says in verse 9 Who, whoever says he's in the light but hates his brothers in the darkness verse 10 whoever loves his brother abides in light man john is all about us being people of love i mean he's told us that, that if your life is not characterized by the love of jesus you don't know him if that love is not in you and it's being given to others, then you've never met Jesus. All right, so John is not, a, not about being cruel. He's all about loving people the way Christ loved them. But here's the reality, folks. It is cruel to tell people of a Jesus that isn't real. And that's what John's saying. The most loving thing we can do is to communicate the truth about Jesus Christ. John is so passionate about this that he describes those who deceive or distort the truth about Jesus as antichrist. Okay, now some of you are big end time scholars, and, and you, when you think of antichrist, you probably think of you know the lawless one of Thessalonians who's who's coming at the end times, right? Uh, and, and all that you know about that, the end coming. But but John is not talking about that antichrist. He's talking about what what First John four three would describe as the spirit of antichrist. First John four three says every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And so he says, when you distort the truth about Jesus, you're Antichrist, okay? In the sense of you're against Christ. The word anti or the prefix anti, it means to, to set against. It means to be in opposition to, to distort. And so if you're not telling the truth about Jesus, you're, you're distorting Jesus. And so there's, there's nothing in this world that is more absolutely paramount that we get right than the truth about Jesus. There's 7 billion people on the planet. We're not really interested in opinions right now, are we? Do you really want to know 7 billion people's opinion about that? I, I, I don't really. That's, what I want to know is who is the biblical Jesus? And here's, here's the truth. Not everybody's got this right. Right? In, in America, we've, we've kind of fallen into this. You got your truth, and I've got my truth, and I've got my Jesus, and you got your Jesus, and they're all right as long as you're sincere, right? Hey, that's not true. I mean, that just doesn't work, right? We don't want to be the kind of people that have this view of, of truth that it's just whatever I think. I mean, 
How would it be if we came in today and said, hey, what's two plus two? James says, it's three. And we're like, good job, buddy. Way to go, man. Way to go. I love your answer. I love it. What's two plus two? You know, and Fred says it's five. And we're like, hey, Fred, man, great, great answer. Loved it, you know. What's two plus two? You know, Jacob says it's 82. We're like, that dude is creative. Isn't that great, man? Who's Jesus? Who is he? Well, the Muslims say he's a great teacher. He was a good teacher. He was a moral guy. Taught a lot, of, a lot of great principles for life. You know, is that who Jesus is? Well, the Mormons say that he was a man just like us, and he worked his way all the way up to become a god. And, and just like he's a god, so if you work your way all the way up through Mormonism, you can be a god just like him. Is that right? Are the, can Islam be right? And, and the Muslims right at the same time? How about most Americans? Most Americans are going to say, well, man, Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross, and then they're going to finish it this way. And he just wants me to be happy. Really, that, I mean, they may not, actually, people, I've heard people express it that way. Maybe we won't, but that's really what they mean by Jesus. Man, it's, it's the guy who takes away my sin, he just wants me to be happy. Whatever I want to do, he's all for that. Okay, are all of those right? All of those cannot be right, and in fact, none of those are right. Those are all Play-Doh Jesuses, okay? You know what a Play-Doh Jesus is? It's one you take out and you fashion for yourself. It's called idolatry. People in the Old Testament did it all the time, didn't they? They would fashion an idol for themselves. They would say, this is my God. You know, this is what he does. This is who he is. And they would fashion their own God. And a lot of people today are making a Play-Doh Jesus. They're fastening, fashioning their own Jesus. But listen, folks, hear, hear me right here. here. Here's who Jesus is. Here's who the Bible says he is. Here's who the hundreds of eyewitnesses to his resurrection from the dead say that he is. He is eternal God who stepped out of the heavens and into human flesh to live a perfect and pleasing life before God the Father. This Jesus. Jesus is the one who laid down his life for your sins and for mine, for those who would believe upon him. He is the first and the best of beings. He is infinitely glorious in power and in love and in mercy and in grace and in wisdom and in joy. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords to whom you must repent of your sins and believe upon him and follow him because he's the best thing ever and your only hope for salvation. That is the historical, biblical, theological eyewitness account of who Jesus is. That is the only Jesus okay so we need to know the truth about Jesus and John says there's an urgency that we know this truth because we're in the last hour I love how he starts out in verse 18 children you ever been called children before some of you a long time away from being kids but John looks at you and he says kids he's looking at you as spiritual children as as his own It's, it's a term of endearment and he's saying my children it's the last hour it's the last hour. You, you got to get this right. What does he mean by that? Does he mean by Jesus coming back in 59 minutes, you know, there's one hour left? No, the Bible talks about the last days or the last hour in the sense of, man, everything's been accomplished, okay? When we look at Hebrews, you remember this in our, in our study through Hebrews last year. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, what's he saying? Not just a couple days left? No, he's saying, man, everything's been accomplished in these last days. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. John is saying, look, everything's been accomplished for your salvation. In the Old Testament, they were waiting. They were waiting, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the one who would take away their sins, waiting for the one that God had anointed and would come and would finish and complete all things. He has come. His name is Jesus. It's been been accomplished it's been done and now what are you going to do with him 
That's the question on the plate today. Do you believe? Who do you believe in? Do you believe in the Jesus of the scriptures? To get that wrong is to get everything wrong. So what does it mean to confess Christ? Look at verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Okay? So, so John is telling us here, first of all, that, that, that a believer is a person who confesses the Son. What does that mean to confess Jesus? Um, it's actually an interesting word. We saw it in 1 John 1, 9. Remember that? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you remember that word confess is homologeo, two Greek words put together to say the same thing. Okay? So you remember what it means to, to confess your sins? It means if you're a believer, the Spirit of God convicts you. Oh, man, you shouldn't have said that. That, that was sin. You shouldn't have thought that. That was sin. And what does a believer do? He agrees with God. He says the same thing as God, right? He agrees with God. He affirms what God has spoken. And he identifies with Christ and with what he's provided. And in the same way to confess that Jesus is the Son of God is to agree with God about who Jesus is. It's to agree with God about the plan of redemption. It's to agree with God about the biblical Jesus. And folks, there's a supernatural element to this sort of confession. In Matthew chapter 16, remember Jesus talks to his disciples and, and, and he comes to them and he says, uh, in verse 13, he says, who do people say that, I, that the Son of Man is? He's saying, who, who do people say that I am? Verse 14, and they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets, all kinds of opinions, right? Okay, but, but, but what does Peter say? Verse 15, he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter pops up, verse 16, and replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, Peter, yes. Okay, but notice what Jesus says. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You know what it means to confess the Son? It means that God has opened up your eyes to see who Jesus really is. Amen? Huh? For 18 years, for 18 years, I knew the flannel board Jesus, okay? I knew the stories about Jesus. I knew he walked on water. I knew he, he died on the cross. I knew he was resurrected from the dead, but I didn't see his glory. You know, you know how we know I didn't see his glory? I didn't trust him. I didn't love him. I didn't want him. I didn't give my life to him, okay? But it wasn't to the Father. Open my eyes to see the glory of the resurrected Jesus, that he's everything that my aching heart desired. And then I confessed him, Jesus, you are my king. This is, this is more than, than the kind of confession that the demons make when Jesus would come into a village and, and the demon-possessed man would say, hey, there's the son of God. They're not submitting, they're, they're not yielding, they're not treasuring, they're not hoping in, they're not receiving. No, no, this kind of confession identifies us with Jesus. We're saying, I'm with you. I want you. I believe what the Father, what the scriptures have said about you. And this is a confession that's not only with our lips, but it's with our lives. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. It's interesting, Titus uses the exact same words here, okay? Remember the word confess is homologeo? Well, in this translation, in the ESV, profess is homologeo. It's the same Greek word. So they confess to follow God, or they profess to, follow, to know God, but they deny him by their works. Titus presents a situation where someone's saying, I know Jesus, I know him, but their life's saying, I don't know him, I don't want him. Their, their, their mouth's saying, I want Jesus. Their life's saying, no, I don't. And, and so to confess Jesus is to, with your lips and with your life, to acknowledge that he is who the Father says he is, that he's everything that God has, has described for us in the scriptures, and to put our faith in him. So number one, Believers are the people who know the truth about Jesus, okay? 
Number two, believers are ones who persevere in that truth to the very end. Okay? One of the questions that John answers for us in this letter is, who's really a Christian? What a great question, right? Who's really a Christian? How do you, how do you know if you're really a believer? First John chapter 2, verse 3 begins by saying, By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Okay, And John's going to do this over and over again in verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, Whoever says he's in the light hates his brother, still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So he gives us these, these, these things to look for, these marks, these signs of what it means to be a true believer. And here in this passage, the mark that he gives us is that a true believer continues in the truth. Look at verse 19. One, one, of the, one of the greatest verses in the New Testament for the perseverance of the saints. Verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. It's a sad story that, that John's describing here. Well, what's he describing? Well, he's describing people that they know, these folks know, okay, who used to be connected to, to the church, they were connected to the body of believers, they were connected to the, to the group of folks who confessed Christ as their king, and that they were considered one of them, they thought they were one of them, but what happened at some point, they, they left, at some point they departed from the faith, they departed from their confession, they departed from their following Christ with their life, they left, okay, and, and John said, what should we say about that, and that's a great question, because I bet there are people in this room, most of you, who probably know others in that very same situation, right? They, they came in at one time. Maybe, maybe they, they, they heard about Christ. They heard about the gospel. Maybe they heard about it from you. And they put their faith in him, or they said they did anyway. Maybe they were baptized publicly as a, as a symbol of their union to Christ. And maybe they began to come to church. Maybe they joined a small group in a Sunday school class. And, and things began, you know, really looking great for them. And then all of a sudden, or maybe gradually, they, they left. I'm not just talking about they left church, like, you know. Like Brother Gary and Carol left Lincoln, you know, 19 years ago, but they didn't leave the faith, you know, they just went to Florence. They went to Colorado to love Jesus there, okay? We're not, we're not talking about people who just change churches, right? I mean, what we're not saying today is that, you know, if you leave and go to First Baptist, you're out, man, you're out of the faith, you know, First John 2, 19. No, no, we're not saying that at all. We're, we're talking about people who leave the faith, okay? They leave their profession, their confession of Christ as their king, and they fall away, and, and, they're, not, and they're not a worshiper, they're not a follower anymore. And, and John is saying, what about those folks? What has happened to those folks? What happened to them? Well, let me tell you what did not happen. What did not happen is they didn't have salvation and then lose it, okay? What did not happen was they came to know Christ, their sins were forgiven, they were put on Jesus, they were joined to Christ, the Spirit of God filled them, they were justified, and then at some point, they didn't measure up, they weren't doing good works, they weren't staying faithful, and so at some point, God said, enough, and he goes in there, and he takes the sins off of Jesus, and he puts them back on that individual, and he takes justification and pulls it out, and he puts the wrath of God back on them, and he takes the Holy Spirit and pulls it out of them, and now they're lost. They were saved, and now they're lost. I don't believe that ever happens, okay? For John chapter 10, verse 27, the same guy that wrote 1 John wrote this, John 10, 27, my sheep. Okay, that's those who belong to Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them. Oh, isn't it awesome? Eternal life. That's what Jesus gives to his sheep. Eternal life. What does that mean? Look at the next phrase. They will never perish. Jesus says, my sheep, I give them this and they will never perish. They will never perish. 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and nobody's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I mean, it's essential that, that we, we understand that, that what's happening here in 1 John 2 when these folks leave is, is not that they're losing their salvation. Why is this such a big deal? You're saying, man, we just went through Hebrews and you brought this up you know, numerous times. It's such a big deal because here's what I want to make sure we at Lincoln Avenue understand is that salvation is by grace from beginning to end, okay? It's by grace. You know, it's not that you come to God by grace and Jesus pays for your sins and he, he brings you into the kingdom. But then after that, now, now you got to start working, you know. And now if you don't measure up, you know, if you don't put in your quota, God's like, ah, you're getting low, you're getting low, you're out, you know. I mean, that, that, that's not it, okay. It's not glory to us. It's glory to Jesus from start to finish. Now you're going to ask, well, then is there no good works? Oh, man, absolutely there's good works. There has to be, okay. There has to be. That's what John was telling us in 1 John 2, 3. By this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. And really all of chapter 3 or most all of chapter 3 is driving home this point that if the spirit of god is in you he's gonna change you he's gonna transform you i mean he's gonna work in you to make you a different person and isn't it interesting that in 19 he's talking about these folks that left and in verse 20 he comes back and he says but this is not you you know why this is not you because you have the holy spirit look at verse 20 verse 20 but you have been anointed by the holy one you're saying, Pastor, I did not see the words Holy Spirit there, okay? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter two or chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. What does that mean? Keep reading. And who has put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The anointing he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. So in verse 20, he says, guys, this is not you. You're not of those who don't don't continue in the truth. You're of those who stay, who abide in the truth, and it's because you have the Holy One inside of you. Look at verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you've no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, and it is no lie, it just says it has taught you the Spirit of God's in you. And if you're a believer, He's teaching, He's revealing truth, He's convicting you. Bonnie, if you get a little lippy with Kenny... I know it's never happened, you know, but you cross that line, you sin against your husband. Do you need Pastor Jason to come tell you that you've sinned? And, you know, do you have no idea, and she didn't know she sinned until I come over and say, Bonnie, you said, I think you got the Spirit in you, don't you? Yeah, you got the Spirit, and he, the Spirit's telling you, man, he's telling you, he's telling you. He's, you guys agree, huh? You have the Spirit of God who reveals truth. I'm not saying we don't need teachers, but, 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 but John is saying you got a teacher inside of you, okay? You're going to stay in the truth. You're going to remain in the truth because you've got the Holy One inside of you who's revealing Jesus to you. He's opening your eyes more and more to see the glory of Christ so that you love Him and trust Him and you grow and you progress and you turn away from sin and you're being sanctified because of the Spirit of God inside of you. So what happened to these folks? Why'd they leave? If they didn't lose their salvation, then, then what happened? Let's read verse 19 again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. What's he saying? They're not of us. He's going to say it several more times. If they had been of us, they'd they'd really been of us, what? They would have, what? Remained. They would have continued. It's actually the word abide, by the way. We'll get to that in a minute. But they went out that it might become plain. What's, what's, What's plain? That they all are not of us. You see that? 
By the way, what's, what's us again? It's the body of born-again believers, right? Joined to Christ and dwelt with the Spirit. Okay, and, and they went out. Why? Because they were never really of us. Okay, and what's implied there? Okay, what's implied there is that in the visible grouping of believers in any community, in, any, in the world, there are those who are connected there visibly, but not truly. Right? That's not really a surprise, is it? Jesus said 12 disciples. What happened to that Judas guy? He didn't, he didn't make it, did he? He didn't remain. He wasn't. What did Jesus say about him in the Gospel of John? He's the son of perdition. He, he, was, never, he was never one. What about the wheat and the tares? Remember that parable Jesus told? Farmer goes out, sows his wheat. What's the enemy do? He sows weeds right in there, right? It looks like wheat when it first comes up, but, but it's not wheat. And, and pretty soon it, it doesn't bear the fruit of wheat. And you realize it's, it's a weed. You remember, what, remember how this, the parable goes? The, the servants say, hey, Jesus, you know, or Master, should we go pull those out? And he's like, no, 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 don't do that. You'll pull out the wheat too. Leave them there. In the end, I'll, we'll sort it out. I'll divide the wheat from the tares. Jesus' parable of the soils. Remember that? Four soils. Remember the two in the middle? The rocky and the weedy? What happens in both those? Initially, it looks good, doesn't it? Initially, it comes up. You know? It comes up. But, but in the one, there's, there's no depth. No depth. There's no, it's not really there. And so when the sun comes out and when things get tough, phew, they go away. They fall away. The other, there's, there's no real repentance that their life's still clogged with all these other gods, stuff, idols. They just added Jesus in. They don't bear fruit. So this is not a new thing, right? I mean, this is not, we shouldn't be surprised at this. Not everyone connected to the visible church is born again. And those who don't persevere show themselves to never have really known the truth about Jesus. So number one, believers know the truth about Jesus. Number two, believers persevere in the truth about Jesus. Now, number three, you know, are you ready for this one? Because this one's going to engage your will, okay, church. It's going to engage your will, born again believers. Number three, believers abide in the truth about Jesus, okay? So we know the truth, we persevere in the truth, and then number three, and this is a practical daily thing, believers abide in the truth about Jesus. Now, John loves this word abide, okay? If you read the Gospel of John, especially the 15th chapter, he uses it all over, okay? In this passage, he uses it a bunch. In verse 19, it's not translated so in our, in our English text, but it's in verse 19 that they, they would have abided, they would have continued with us. But, but notice verse 24 in particular. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Okay, that's a command for you, church. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son. Three times, and in the Father. Okay, look at verse 27. Um, verse 27 says, but, he, he, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Five times, five times he tells us, he commands us that as the church, as the people who know about the glory of Jesus, who know the truth about Jesus, that we should be abiding in that truth. If you know the truth about Jesus, you should be abiding in it today. Now, what does that mean? abide in the truth well the word abide i love it it's a great word it means to remain to stay to uh continue but really the best definition i think is 
to live in, to dwell in, okay? You ever call your, your home your abode, okay? So abide, abode, you got it? Can you remember that, okay? So, so, so it's to dwell in, all right? So what, what does it mean, okay? So let's, let's look back. What does it tell us to do? Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning. What did you hear from the beginning? In other words, the beginning of the gospel, what did you hear? You heard that Jesus is the God-man. He's the Savior. What did John tell us about Jesus? He's the way, the truth, the life, the good shepherd, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the bread of life. He's our substitute. He's our death. He's our hope. He's our life. Right? That's who Jesus is. What you heard from the beginning should be abiding in you. What's it mean for the truth about Jesus to live in you? What's that mean? how, How do we practically think about that? That the truths about Jesus, the truths about the gospel, the truths about his glory, the truths about who he is, for those to live in me. Three things. Number one, they have a place. They have a continual place in your life. They are continually present in your life. Is, is the truth about the character of Jesus present in your life? I was reading in First uh, Peter yesterday with a group of guys. A couple guys and I were looking at First Peter two, and uh, we all kind of latched on to this verse in First Peter two. It's telling us just about Jesus. Here's who Jesus is. Are you ready? This is the real Jesus. First Peter two twenty three. When he was reviled, you know what reviled is? That's when you take a chewing. Okay, some of you get that often. Ready? When he was reviled. He did not revile in return. This is his character. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Let me ask you a question. Does the truth about Jesus live in you? You know how we know that? The next time you get reviled, right? Next time you uh, get chewed on a little bit, how do we know if the truth of Jesus is living in us? How do we know if it's dwelling if it's there if it's present how do we know that the truth about his glory is there i mean is it is it is it there do you see it do you see the truth of jesus living in you so number one is it present is it is it does it have a place in your life but then let's go even further number two is it is it active okay is it living in you is it dwelling the word is used for staying somewhere dwelling somewhere it is the truth of god is it alive in you? Is it dwelling? A couple months ago, I had the great opportunity to go mountain biking in uh, the New Mexico mountains, and we got to stay at uh, a friend's condo. And uh, so they, they have this condo up there, and they've, they've decorated it with all of their, you know, like you would decorate your home, right? I mean, it's not like motel sterile. You know, it's, it's got, you know, pieces from their, their family and, the, you know, decorations they've picked up over the years. It's got their, their own personality, like a woman would decorate her home. But you know what the deal is? The moment I walked into that place, I knew nobody lived there. I could tell. I could tell nobody lived there. Nobody will ever walk into the Dirk's house and think, does anybody live here? You won't. Everywhere, everywhere, you will see signs of life that this is is a place where, where people live. You walk in and you stumble over Avery's shoes. You know, what in the world, you know? You walk in, there's a half-drunk Diet Coke on the, on, the, on the cabinet. You walk in and in the sink, there's fruity pebbles, you know, that, that got put in there. Nobody poured water in there. Now they're cemented to the side, you know? You got to take a chisel, the air hammer to get them off of there, okay? But you're going to know people were here. It's alive. 
is the truth, the promises, the commands, the truth about Jesus, is it, is it alive in you? I'm telling you, James 4, 6 lives in me, and it is so, it's been so used that the corners are wore off of it inside my heart, okay? God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know why that's so war? Because I'm a prideful guy by nature, and man, I've got to live with that thing. I've got to live with James 4, 6. It travels everywhere with me, and pride continually pops up. The Spirit of God convicts me, and James 4, 6 comes in and saves me from hopefully sinning against my God. It lives in me. James 4, 6 lives in me. It's in me. It's alive in me. I wake up every day to Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know why I wake up with that every day? It's not because I wake up as a naturally person that's just happy to be up at 5, okay? My eyes are crusted shut, all right? But I got to wake up because I don't want to be awake. And, And Psalm 118 is right there. It's living in me, Jason. Rejoice in the day, Jason. Challenge, Jason, grab on to joy. Grab on to the joy of the Lord. It's living in me. Guess what? Psalm 36, 8 and 9 just moved into my heart, okay? I told you that last week, and I told you you'd be hearing about it, and I couldn't figure out a way to put it in the sermon today, so I put it here, okay? Psalm 36, verse 8. Here it is. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. They feast, okay? This is believers. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Isn't that awesome? I talked about it last week. God's river of delights coming by, and I'm drinking out of it, okay? That's just moved in, and that word is going to live in me. It's going to live in me every time I'm tempted to be an Eeyore, every time I'm tempted to have self-pity, every time I'm tempted to gripe. I'm going to come back. Man, Psalm 36 is living over here. It's brand new in the house, and it's going to say, uh-huh, Jason, drink from the river of his delights. It's alive in me. Okay, Psalm 1611 has been parked on the living room of my heart for so long that you guys are tired of it, right? Over a hundred funerals here at Lincoln Avenue, and almost every one of them, I have at some point in that funeral pointed to what lives in me, Psalm 1611, that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand, what is it, guys? Pleasures forevermore. Man, that lives in my heart. That's what it means for the Word of God to dwell in you. Ephesians 5.25 sleeps right on the side of my bed, between the wall and my bed. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And every time I'm laying there thinking, Emma, you know, man, Ephesians 5.25 comes up out of my heart and it says, you jerk, you're 20 times the wretch she ever will be. And Jesus loves you, you love your wife. It lives in you. Is it alive? Or... Does it come in? It's gone. There's a difference between a visitor and a, someone who abides, isn't there? Someone who dwells. Does the Word of God live in you? Is it alive? Is there evidence? Number three, I think what it means for the Word of God to abide in you is that it's welcome. Okay? The truth about Jesus is welcoming you. you. You are hot. You want it. Come. Come live in me. Come live in me. Come stay. Come stay. The truth about Jesus' glory, come stay. His commands, come stay. His promises, come stay. I want you here. How different is that from a spiritual bulimic? Hmm? We've talked about this before. 
Someone who, who takes in some truth, but it, they don't abide in the truth, right? They, they get rid of it. We got off the train in India in a place called Barachalam. That's where we got that terrible thing, by the way. We got off the train about 5 in the morning, and we'd been, on the, we'd been riding on the train all night long. And the train arrived in Brockton about 5 in the morning. We got off the train. We were assaulted immediately by just the smell of that train station. We walked down this long corridor, people sleeping everywhere. We walked through kind of the main gates and just hit this mass of people. I remember a beggar who was lying on the ground holding a cup up, kind of yelling something, moaning something. Um, we walked through this mass of people. We walked out into the parking lot where there's trucks. It's 5 in the morning. There's trucks, little rickshaws, little taxis going everywhere. A pastor signals us. He's brought uh, Two pastors have brought in the cars that we've rented. They brought them right there to the parking lot to us. And we began to put our bags in the back of those vehicles. And then I saw something that to this day I cannot explain. I cannot explain. I have no idea what, what was happening, what they were doing. Uh, none of our team knew what was happening there. But there were several women out kind of in the edge of that parking lot, just right over by our vehicles. And they were, they were sticking their finger down their throat, and they were, they were throwing up. They were, they were puking on, on the pavement there. And one of them had a toothbrush. And in between, you know, she would, she would brush. And so uh, to this day... Don't, don't, I mean, don't ask me what were they doing. I'm not trying to give you any India culture. I don't know. I have no idea. But the thing that hit me was, I wonder if we could see with spiritual eyes if we wouldn't pull into many churches in America and see the same thing happening in the parking lot. People that took in truth, truth about forgiveness. Who's Jesus? He's the one that forgave every sin you've ever committed. And then told you, be like me. Who've taken in truths about loving their neighbor. Who've taken in truths about grace. Who've taken in truths about humility. Who's taken, taken in truths about the satisfying nature of Jesus. But it didn't stay. You hear me? It didn't stick. It didn't abide. It didn't live in them. And so somewhere between the church and the parking lot and the vehicle and home... They just regurgitated that truth. It didn't stay. We are, as believers, people who know the truth. We are people who persevere to the end in that truth. And we are people who abide. We, it lives in us. Not only does Jesus live, but He lives in us. And, and we abide in Him. Notice where this ends. 24 says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. You ready? Eternal life. That's the promise. Eternal life. Number one today, do you know the truth about Jesus? One of the ways you'll know that is, is He awesome to you? You know? Is He the best thing ever? Or is he, eh? If he's, eh, you don't know the truth about him. Number two, if you believe, you're going you're gonna to stay. Man, you're going to stick. You're going to remain. You're going you're to trust him. Man, he's got you. And he's not letting you go. The Holy One, his anointing is inside of you. And then believers here today, man, is the truth of Jesus living in us? That's what it means to walk in faith, is we abide in his truth. Let's pray. Father, help us today.
Father, help us to, to be people who know the truth, people who persevere in the truth, people who, who abide in your truth. God, who your truth lives in us. God, it's, it's got a place in our hearts. It's got a place in our minds. It's got a place in our will. God, you're, it stays with us. You, you're shaping us and molding us and, and transforming us into the image of Jesus, your son. Father, I, I pray, God, speak. Speak to our hearts today. I pray for those here today, maybe for the very first time, they've seen that Jesus is everything that they need. God, bring them to faith. Bring them to repentance. God, bring their hearts to, to call out to you. Father, I pray for those who, who are wavering. God, give them perseverance to, to stay in the truth. God, I pray for those who, who just need your truth to abide in them. They, they need to let it live, to be alive inside. Father, have your way in our hearts, in Jesus' name.